Welcome, everyone, to the Five R's podcast. I am George Cagle, uh, joined with Scotty Jinks. Hello. And we are Redeemer Radical Reflections from Reading Rightly. Uh, just a couple guys from Redeemer Church in Tomball who are going to reflect on God's Word this evening. And tonight we are looking at Isaiah chapters 2 through 4. Uh, we've got a, a fairly ambitious goal this evening. We're going we're gonna to go through three chapters of Isaiah. But I think it's good to do this uh, section of chapters. They, they flow together. And I just really like, you know, Scotty, how the beginning of chapter 2 and chapter four are basically promises of redemption for God's people, kind of bookending, you know, a lengthier um, section about God's judgment. But tell me, Scotty, what what, have, what do you think about uh, this section here? What are your thoughts? Yeah, so originally two through four seemed like uh, too much content, but. Uh, what you're saying is we start out in two with the mountain of the Lord, and then we end in four with the, the branch, right? The branch of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're looking forward to uh, the future uh, in, in both instances. And then, like you said, in the middle, uh, we have all this, um, all this condemnation and sort of um, all this uh, complaining uh, against uh, God's people. But always, you know, he does kind of the compliment sandwich uh, where you're supposed to <laughs> tell somebody is something nice. Then you give him the criticism and then you tell him something nice again. So the, the Lord is uh, somewhat treating us that way, um, using his uh, promises of what uh, the glory is going to look like uh, for Zion in the future as a way to soften the blow of let's say uh two six through four three right right yeah it's very cool to see that god developed the uh yeah that sandwich and and originated with isaiah i guess right (laughs) yeah so we are uh again we're gonna go through and just go through kind of the verses. We'll get into detail on certain verses or section of verses that really stood out to us. And then we will conclude with, again, a summary and just some application um, as well. So, Scotty, where it says in chapter 2, verse 2, right? It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills. Scotty, have you looked into what, what do they mean by in the latter days and and then this mountain of the house of the Lord? Sure. So we keep looking forward to the, the revelation of the Messiah, right? We talked Mm -hmm. about even chapter one, um, in our overview, we're going to talk a lot about, um, the, especially in these early chapters, about the revelation of the Messiah. Uh, we're going to be looking forward to, you know, church history would say 
the we're looking forward to the millennial reign of Christ, right? So we're talking about a thousand years of Christ uh, ruling on the earth. Um, and when it, a lot of what Isaiah is talking about, a lot of these blessings are coming, not, not when the Messiah is revealed um, and crucified, but when he's revealed uh, in e even the future for us. Uh, so as far as the imagery, now we're talking about the house of the Lord. Um, and of course, you know, for us memorizing First uh, Peter 2 makes me think about, you know, as you come to him, uh, a living stone, uh, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house are being built together. Um, and so all, all that kind of imagery uh, actually makes me um, see, uh, although it's not coming from a commentary or anything, just the, the church, right? Then we're talking about the, the mountain of the house of the Lord, especially when he's talking about all the nations flowing to it. Many people shall come mm -hmm. and seeing that, that we're talking about more than uh, Judah and Jerusalem. We're talking about the whole world being blessed and uh, being being a part of uh, what's happening. Yes, I, I agree. I've noticed, especially with the Jewish people at this time, right? The, the mountains, the hills, the high places are where they have put places to worship idols. Mm -hmm. And this basically is saying that God's mountain where you're going to worship God is going to be high above all the others, right? Mm -hmm. All other kingdoms and things of this world are going to be subservient to him. And right. All the nations, all the people will flow to this Messiah, right? So chapter two begins with this promise of the kingdom, right? God's kingdom, the one that the Messiah is going to come and initiate and you know i believe that he talks about right the latter days right not necessarily the last day mm -hmm. which really makes me think that this is referring to the birth of the church right when christ has come and has began that process of sure. um redeeming creation and you have the Holy Spirit come and on Pentecost and that's the uh, beginning. Yeah, all the nations shall flow to it. That makes sense. And then, right. And then it continues from there, right. Into verse four, eventually when, when everything is finished, right. And made new, right. There's, there's the verse about beating their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Just this promise of prosperity and peace and, and ultimately, right, the, the Hebrew word shalom, oneness, completeness. Everything is perfect and right as it should be. And of course, from there, now we get to move into the criticism of judah and 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 god's people right verse five oh house of jacob come let us walk in the light of the lord i think this verse is maybe the key verse of the chapter or of this section of chapters 
because he's saying basically in light of the coming kingdom now let us repent let us walk with the lord now let us repent from our sins because this kingdom is coming and we'd like to be a part of it right so just looking at the the whole idea that they they don't need their weapons anymore right so mm-hmm. um so much so much of everything we think of as masculine is uh, is about uh wars about fighting for what is right and um and then the idea we get is of um someone someone who's not manly is someone who's not fighting someone who's not making uh making things right and then it's always humbling to to see a depiction of how um eventually we're going to have no use for uh someone who um fights for uh fights for things because we're gonna we're gonna be past all that and we're gonna need people who uh create people who cultivate and uh thinking thinking about now how people do um we're we're all looking for a way to win right like our our faction how are we gonna defeat those guys or how are we going to prove to them that we're right um when in reality um, we ought to be submitting to the Lord and they submitting to the Lord um, because the, the truth is uh, no side on, on any of the polarizing issues we're dealing with now. Um, no side is going to win. We're all going to be subservient to Christ. And so even, even when those swords are ideas, um, we're going to have to learn how to repurpose them because they won't be useful for fighting anymore. Right. Very good. And it's interesting that you brought up the whole masculinity thing, because that's going to, I think, play a, uh, a role in, I believe, chapter three as we go through. Sure. And then I just wanted to point out, uh, neither shall they learn war anymore. Um, there's, there's a song. Um, I am probably familiar with a cover of it. But this things about uh, we we ain't gonna study war no more, um, and I think it's always nice to hear um, things I'm familiar with uh, just from pop culture uh, finding their basis in in the Word of God. That, right, it's like it's like this desire that we have in our hearts that we look forward to, and God is like, "Here's I'm the answer." I put this desire in your heart and it's because you're supposed to look to me. Right. So in verse six through 11, Isaiah starts to list these sins that basically are implied in verse five, right? In verse five, we're basically called to repent now in light of the coming kingdom. And now he's going to go in and talk about the actual sins that Judah is guilty of. Right. Verse six has to do with you know, we're full of things from the east, fortune tellers like the Philistines. And it says we strike hands with the children of foreigners, basically interacting with the rest of the world in an unholy way. Right. They're not just they're not in the world, but not of the world. They are in the world and of the world also. Right. And then verse seven, their land is filled with silver and gold. And there's no end to their treasures. The land is filled with horses. Then there, there's no end to their chariots. 
first that looks like, well, that's a good thing, right? Like, okay, we're doing pretty well for ourselves. How is that a sense? Well, but you know, you have this sense of that's, but that's where their treasure is. Like, like the heart, it's their, it's their idols, right? Their idol is in their silver and gold and and in their military might, right? Their horses and chariots. So there's this materialism and greed. There's the land is filled with idols, right? They bow down to the work of their hands. The idolatry is universal. Um, you know, it's as to what their own fingers have made. And this, actually, I'm going to get into more detail on that that part in just a second. But I've noticed as as we're going through this, I'm reading this. I'm like, this also sounds like the United States, doesn't it? Right. So not that material prosperity is necessarily this, but when he's explaining how well they're doing, uh, it should worry us. Right. He talks about um, how how well they're doing, how how they're prospering, how they're powerful and uh, how they don't uh, how they don't love him. Um, We should we should see the rest coming. Right. Like we should be able to predict how this chapter is going to go because their hearts are far from him, but they have everything. So now the natural response for the Lord is to take it all away. Right. Very good. And so I do want to talk about real quick about in verse eight, where it says, you know, they bow down to the work of their hands, to what their own fingers have made. And it's so easy, right, Scotty, for people to look at that. Okay. Well, yeah, they take, you know, a piece of wood or or some gold and they form it into a little, you know, creature and you, bow down and worship it right that's what they did back then but that's not what we do anymore right people don't put together idols like that so idolatry is not that big of a thing anymore right that's what a lot of people uh would think scotty how would you respond to that well i think the irony so um they're literally making their idols out of silver and gold so they're they're bowing down to silver and gold they're bowing down to valuable treasures and I think that metaphor uh, still carries today that although we don't shape our nice house like a, you know, like a little face or like a mm-hmm. cow, you know, or whatever the case may be, we're still worshiping prosperity, right? The reason that they worship these um, these deities was because they believed it was going to bring them prosperity. The reason they worship the rain god was because they wanted him to bless them with crops so that they could sell them and have money. So in, in that way, you know, a Baal worshiper is literally someone who just values money. When you are looking towards, you know, even like a sex cult, right? Their, their whole goal here is that they're going to be prosperous. They're going to have fertility, right? They're going to get what the world says is valuable. So in reality, the, the thing they're worshiping is a prosperous version of themselves. They're worshiping whatever's going to give them that promise of this fulfillment. And so nothing's changed in that sense. We're, we're still always trying to get um, whatever's going to put us in the position that everyone's going to envy us for. Right. Whether it's a nice house, 
nice car, money, a good job, power, family, right? Wife or kids, whatever makes us uh, feel like we're have value. That's, that's an idol, right? And it's something that our own fingers have made, right? We have decided to put this as our, as our idol. And even people who say they claim, you know, to, to follow and love God, but they write, oh, God is a God of love. I don't like to look at this part about the judgment of God, right? Well, that's idolatry as well. They're turning God into a God that suits them, and they're going to worship this, honestly, weaker, much, you know, weaker God instead. So from there, right, 10 really all the way through, you know, the rest of chapter two, right through 22, there is just a constant theme of God is going to humble, right, and humiliate these prideful men, right? Right, he's going to bring them low. Um, he's, they're talking about a day, right, a day of judgment against the proud and lofty, Um and so that the idea you've mentioned before about God's mountain being higher than all of the other mountains, his place of worship being higher than all the other places of worship. Well, it looks like what we're about to see is the Lord pushing all those other mountains down, mm-hmm. right? He is going to uh, destroy them. And those people who are looking, looking for their idol in uh, prosperity or uh, in a family or in political power uh we're gonna see those same people still looking for those things even when it's lost all meaning they're still going to be trying to fulfill themselves even when the lord takes away uh any idea that it's going to bless you i i I don't want to skip too far ahead that's okay go ahead yeah but he talks about um these guys who want to who want to elect someone king, right? They want to put him as king above them. They want him to be royalty because he has a jacket. Um, l- literally, they're still looking for fulfillment, even though the Lord has taken it away. There, there's nothing for them at the end of this road, and they're still uh, chasing cars, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, in instead of learning their lesson instead of seeing what they loved laid low uh they they keep chasing it right and i love i love the imagery of isaiah um i mean isaiah is just full of filled filled with imagery and metaphors and, and everything and you, you know, Scotty, one of the things I, I enjoy about Isaiah also as I'm reading it is just the uh, the wildlife, the wildlife of Isaiah, uh, all kinds of animals that are not seen anywhere else or mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. Sure. Uh, like the, the ostrich is like an Isaiah exclusive animal. Yeah. And, and <laughs> you have here, right? I, I guess this is the first example of uh, unusual wildlife found in the Bible. Uh Verse 20, talking about the moles and the bats, right? In that day, mankind will cast away their idols of silver and their idols of gold, which they made for themselves to worship, 
to the moles and to the bats. And right, they're doing this as they enter the caverns of the rocks and the clefts of the cliffs from the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty. So, right, they are fleeing still from God, right? They're not turning to him for, with repentance. They're instead fleeing in terror and they're taking their idols with them into these caves, which still you find it. I guess ironic, you know, because these idols originally were up in the high places of the mountains. Right. Yeah. And now they're down in the caves among the moles and the bats and the people hiding from from God and his judgment. Now, right. Chapter three. Just a a continuation, right, of uh, Judah's punishment that's coming intermingled with you know, an account of their sins. Um, I think even more specifically, chapter three kind of gets into the whole, this is what's going to happen to Jerusalem when the Babylonians come. Right. You have, they, it talks about like in verse, or excuse me, verse one of chapter three, that they're like, Hey, we have, you know, all this bread, we have water, we have mighty men and soldiers, right? We're, we're going to be okay, right? But God is saying, I'm going to take all that away, right? All the things you need for life, food, water, these are actually gifts from God. And God is like, I'm going to take those away from you now. And you have the, the siege of Jerusalem, Right, it reminds me of, uh, uh, I don't know if you saw the movie Evan Almighty with uh, Steve Carell, where he plays a Noah character. At the I can't he, say I got around he, to watching that one, no. Well, at the beginning, he prays, uh, he just got a promotion, and he prays to the Lord and thanks him for the promotion. He says, although I did, I, I did earn it myself, he says, but you created matter, so thanks for that, you know, as if... <laughs> um, which is just so patronizing to take credit for something and then say, but I couldn't have done it if you hadn't created the material world, you know? Um, And in this way, God is uh, saying he has control over who is prosperous. You know, he's the one Mm -hmm. who decides who has uh, enough to eat. Right. And, uh, but you know, you mentioned before them taking their idols with them as they run away from the Lord um, well, I've heard it said, um, and possibly I'll remember where I heard it from, that uh, maturity, you know, uh, Christian maturity means running to God when you sin instead of running away from God. Yes. Um, and uh, one day I hope to be there because uh, for now, this hearing this story of someone who is clinging to their idol as they flee from the Lord, uh, who loves them and wants what's best for them. Uh, I can only think of myself and how, you know, I, uh, I don't want to get rid of my sin. I want, uh, I want it to be, uh, tameable and, um, but the Lord's not going to be satisfied. Right. Mm -hmm. He wants, um, he wants us, um, and he wants us to drop them so that the bats and the moles can have it. Hmm. Yeah. Now, moving forward in chapter three, 
right? You have verses like, I will make boys their princes and infants shall rule over them. Um, you mentioned your verse, uh, the verses earlier about, you know, a man will take hold of his brother in the house of his father saying, well, you have a cloak, so you should be our leader, right? And this is kind of a result, again, of God taking away what the people of Judah were relying on. And this is an actual prophecy of what would happen, you know, in 586, you know, well over 100 years after Isaiah. So if you look in 2 Kings 25, it talks about how Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians surround the city and they're starving it out. And the king, Zedekiah, and he even says um, in verse, let's see, it's 2 Kings 25, 4, how the men of war, so the king and the men of war, his soldiers, all flee the city. They get out. They abandon the city and the people inside to its fate. So there's just, there's, it was predicted here, just a complete lack of leadership for Jerusalem and for Judah at this time of, of judgment. It even says in verse 12 of chapter three, right? It says, my people, infants are their oppressors and women rule over them. Just this idea that the men who are supposed to step up and lead in this society have failed. They've abandoned their posts. Right. So he is, I mean, he is uh, looking forward prophetically, but he's also looking backward because um, my wife is doing this judges uh, study that started last week. And we were mm -hmm. talking about what the book of judges is about, what it's for. And essentially, you know, my understanding is that it's just, it's several case studies of uh, humans or more specifically men being terrible leaders. And they, they go through having having to let other people, begging other people to take over. And in one instance, um, I think it's uh, Jephthah, who is, uh, he's, he leads a group of criminals and lives in a cave. And they come and they say, please, can you be, can you be the judge now? Can you be in charge? Um, and we read the story and we should be shocked. Uh, but of course, if we know our biblical history, then we know, uh, that's exactly what um, men have always looked to do is to try to pass the buck to someone else. To right. say, I, I don't want this responsibility. Um, let's, let's give it to that guy. And that leads to just a complete breakdown of society, right? Uh, chapter three, verse five, the people will oppress one another, everyone, his fellow and everyone, his neighbor, the youth will be insolent to the elder and the despised to the honorable. You also have verses um, 14 through 15, right? The people who are in need get abused and crushed. And so this just breakdown of society occurs when men don't step up and fulfill their needed role as leaders in their families and in society. And yeah, as you said, it, happened in judges it's happening now with isaiah and it's happening in in america today 
Yeah, and as, as somebody who grew up uh, with a dad who wouldn't go to church, and my mom had to be the spiritual leader of our home, uh, so to speak, uh, I uh, can tell you from experience, it's not functional. Mm-hmm. The So moving forward then, right, we have verses... Uh, in chapter three, we have verse 16 through 17, right? It talks about these daughters of Zion. They're haughty. They walk with outstretched necks, glancing wantonly with their eyes, right? Scotty, tell me what's this all about. Is this a judgment on, on the women of Jerusalem or, or you know, what is, what is happening in this section? I'd say it's more a judgment on uh, the the people who are uh, the, the women uh, leading, we're talking about uh, almost like the idea of a trophy wife, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we have uh, people who are uh, decked out on the outside as opposed to the inside. Um, and they're almost like taking the role of a predator here. We have them having uh, these outstretched necks, uh, glancing wantonly with their eyes, um, the, and especially even the the Lord's response, he says, uh, he's going to put a scab on their heads uh, and he's going to lay bare their secret parts. So he says, even the, the pride uh, that they take in, even the pride the people of God are taking in their, uh, their women, the Lord is going to take it away. Right. There's just this flaunting of wealth, this pride, this self-sufficiency. And God's like, well, now I'm going to remove this, too. I'm going to remove your source of joy, your sense of worth. Right. I'm going to expose your weakness, your emptiness. And then he goes on to um, list every single uh, piece of uh, accoutrement he's he's going to take off. He says uh, all the jewelry, all the clothes all the perfume right and then and then ends it with right your men shall fall by the sword and all your men will be killed and it it ends with actually chapter four verse one right talking about how it'll get so bad that women in order to avoid just the the shame of being an old maid right seven women will take hold of one man and say we'll eat our own bread wear our own clothes you know, we won't even need, you won't even need to provide for us. Just let us be your wife, at least in name, so that we don't have to deal with it. Just there's such a shortage of men uh, left after the Babylonians come through. Right. And here, uh, I want to say this is also an example of these women are looking for uh, fulfillment in uh, this particular idol of marriage and family right they're looking yes. forward to hey let's let us be uh fulfilled by this by this role and, and all the uh all the prosperity that's going to come from it even though in this situation there is no prosperity coming from it right they have they are waiving all the rights that a wife typically enjoys uh just so that they can have the name just so they can have the semblance of enjoying what they still believe is going to be worth it. Right. So as you pointed it out, even though they're being judged, God, you know, God is taking away the joy that they thought they would have. 
And yet these people are still doubling down and tripling down right on their, on their idols, as, as you pointed out. The great thing though, right. Is that this section does still have a happy ending, right? We're now in uh, chapter four. It's a very short chapter that kind of ends this, this section of uh, judgment on the people of God, on, on the Israelites. But you get this sense, right, that God is punishing and destroying Ju- Jerusalem, right? He's knocking it all down in order to make way for the new Jerusalem, right? We have in verse 2, right, in that day, so the day of judgment, the branch of the Lord, which, you know, this is, this is the Messiah, Right, shall be beautiful and glorious. The fruit of the land shall be the pride and honor of the survivors of Israel. So here's the promise of the remnant who are going to be saved by God's grace. They're going to be renewed. And right, the Lord in verse four, right, the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and cleansed the bloodstains of Jerusalem from its midst by a spirit of judgment and by a spirit of burning. So God's going to use discipline and judgment to purify his people right but this ends happily the day of judgment for those of us who are in christ the day of judgment is something to look forward to right so the same way he effectively destroys uh, jerusalem in order to rebuild it um that's how we should expect uh when we come to the same points where we're being tried by fire when we're being uh destroyed uh, it feels like this um spirit of judgment spirit of burning when uh, when we feel like all the things are being taken away from us and we don't know what we've done to deserve such poor treatment uh, we need to remember what the Lord uh, did for his people here uh, is what he uh, can do for us today. Mm-hmm. And that the, the things he's tearing down these high places that we set up in our lives. Uh, it's actually an act of love for him to tear them down so that the mountain of the Lord uh, can be the highest. Right. And then this section now ends right with, Verse five and six, then the Lord will create over the whole side of Mount Zion and over her assemblies, a cloud by day and smoke and the shining of a flaming fire by night for over all the glory. There will be a canopy. There will be a booth for the shade by day from the heat and for and for a refuge and a shelter from the storm and rain. And, you know, these verses remind me of Exodus and and you know, in numbers in which God leads his people is present there with his people with a cloud by day, a fire by night leading his people. So this is a promise that God will be present with us, his people, right? We will experience him as he rules over us in his new kingdom. Something to look forward to. And no more wandering, right? He's um, he'll be in one place, meaning uh, the people will be able to enter into that rest, the promised land, 
which, you know, technically they're already in, but he's looking forward to the fulfillment where uh, literally there's, there's rest from your wandering. Uh, right. The because shalom. the pillar is going to be in its home. Yeah. The shalom. So then Scotty to, we believe it or not, I, I mean, wow, we made it. We made it through three chapters in about 40 minutes or so. Uh, a little bit That's longer right. than our, We've always wanted to get this in about 30 minutes. Maybe one of these days we'll have an episode that that's long. Uh, but, uh, we'll, you know, we'll see. Uh, but before we conclude, you know, Scotty, let's, let's do a little bit of application um, to kind of summarize or sum up the application for our, our listeners and, and then for us also. Uh, the first thing I want to say, first and foremost, right, is turn to Christ. If you have not, done that yet if you have not placed your faith in christ to save you and and repent from your sins do it right as it says in chapter 2 verse 5 come let us walk in the light of the lord right in in light of the coming kingdom turn to christ and be saved god is offers his grace to you all you have to do is call on him right he can be that shelter from the storm and then on top of that, we have, I think it's very important that we look forward, those of us who are in Christ, that we look forward to the Lord's day, right? This day when there shall be no more war and where we shall see God, he will be with us. That is something to be excited about and should motivate you every day to um, for one thing, share the gospel with others, right? And to um, really just sort of motivate you on all these other things that we're about to mention in this application. So some other things I have, right, is reject idolatry. We've already talked about uh, idols. Every one of us has them, things that we think uh, will actually fulfill us and they won't. And God and his love will discipline us and we need to accept that discipline because he's trying to purify us of these idols. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you mentioned looking forward to the day of the Lord and I think that informs our prayer as well. Uh, cause the, the Bible ends, you know, the end of revelation is, uh, asking for Jesus to come quickly. And so sometimes that can be a difficult prayer because there are parts of my life I love so much I don't want to lose them, even if it means being with Jesus forever. And, it's, you know, which is wild because as dissatisfied as I can be sometimes, I still don't want to give up uh, parts of my life in, in exchange for seeing Jesus's face. But um, also it's a, important looking at the text uh, to accept humiliation, um, to see the kindness of the Lord in his discipline mm -hmm. that uh, instead of seeing him like uh, someone who's punishing us, someone who we have failed uh, instead to see that his work from the outside is uh, destroying so that he can rebuild uh, that he wants to see us parted from things that we love so much. We can't see them as a problem. Uh, and, you know, you mentioned rejecting idolatry and once you're in the, in the throes of, worshiping something uh it could be the hardest thing in the world 
uh, to even understand that what you're doing is uh, is contrary to the Lord. But he wants to show us uh, because he's kind. He loves us. Right. And then to conclude, my last point of application I had was that men, you know, you, me, and, and, and men listening to this, this podcast and, and everything, we need to make sure that we are stepping up and leading spiritually in, in our households, in our church, and in society at large, right? That is how we are going to be able to uh, prevent just this, this social break, breakdown uh, in, in society. And um, it's important that we right, reject passivity, accept responsibility, lead courageously and, and again, live for, live for God and, and his reward and step up and lead our families in growing in, in our faith and, and love of God. That's right. Although the temptation is going to be great to flee the city. Um, we know that this is what God called us to and designed us for. Well, all right, Scotty, that about concludes it for this evening. Well, thanks for having me again. Uh, yeah, absolutely, Scotty. It's good seeing you, uh, <laughs> or well, talking to you anyway, hearing your voice over the uh, over the waves. Uh, next week, we'll be back. We'll talk about. We're gonna bring it down to one chapter again. We're gonna talk about chapter five in Isaiah, and uh, which is. A very, a very not happy chapter, but <laughs> still very, very necessary as, as, as we shall see. Uh, so in that sense, I am still looking forward to it. Well, once again, this is uh, George Cagle and Scotty Jinks signing off from Redeemer Radical Reflections from Reading Rightly. Or again, if that's too much, you can just call us the five R's. Thanks for listening.